uh, last week for Family Sunday. It was a total blast. Um, you didn't see me because I was holding babies, and that was so fun. But there's something special I learned about holding babies back there, and it's that whoever's teaching should not go long, okay? So I'm going to try to never go long ever again, and I apologize to all of you. This is my just humble apology. I love babies. It was great, um, but literally one of the girls said, hey, it's not usually like this. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, usually only one of them is crying. And um, there was a lot more. I think the Lord is trying to affirm something for your sake. Well, hey, we're going to be uh, starting a new series we're calling Patterns for Renewal, and I'm really excited about it. Before we begin, though, guys, let me just say, uh, we need prayer, and I want you to pray. Okay, I want you to take it just a little time. I'm going to pray. I want you to pray because um, our, our church, the church of Jesus, is something that's always under attack, always want to be assaulted. And the more that we want to follow Jesus, the more that we want to be about him and be God's people, the more that target's going to be, uh, come into focus, okay? And the stronger it's going to get on your back. Okay, and the, God, uh, the enemy doesn't just take down the church by taking down pastors or taking down, he doesn't have a target on the massive church, he has a target on your back individually. And what we're going to be talking about is how we can take God to the center of who we are to strengthen us for the mission that we have. Because we're not here just to, uh, for moral therapeutic deism, we're here to grow closer to Jesus and to be his people and to serve however he wants to use us. Okay, so let's pray. You pray for your own heart. Just pray that God would protect you, that you would be able to listen and hear, and then we'll dive into this message that will be on time. Okay. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with your love and with the grace of Jesus. And may we feel confident in you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, there was a great movie that came out <clears throat> early 2000s. Uh, maybe you've seen it. It's called Core. Anybody ever seen that movie? Fantastic movie. No? None of you have ever seen it? I had a feeling this was going to happen. You've seen it? It's called what? It's called The Core. Okay, so here's a picture of it. Have you guys seen this movie? Let me tell you about this movie. If you haven't seen it, classic, okay? Um, classic movie. What basically is going on in this movie is uh, at the beginning it opens up and uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening on the surface of the earth, right? Um, birds' migration patterns are going all over the place. Uh, electromagnetic magnetic field is all messed up. So everybody with pacemakers like dies in Paris. And, uh, you know, it just like suddenly solar flares are ripping through San Francisco, just melting people. I mean, earthquakes are happening. It's crazy. On the surface of the earth, nuts things are happening. And nobody can figure out what's going on. Nobody knows. Until they come across some scientists who begin to realize what is actually happening, okay? At this point, everybody's blaming everybody. Oh, it's the Russians. It's the Chinese. It's North Korea. It's the U.S. Who's doing this? And um, what they begin to find out is that the center of the earth, the core of the earth, which is liquid, apparently. I don't know if this is true, but it's a movie. And, uh, but it, it's supposedly, it's, it's turning, okay? And it's churning down there, way down below the surface. And they said, you know, it stopped turning. And so everything that's going on on the surface of the earth is happening because what's happening at the center of the earth, and so what they do is, you know, what any wise people do. They build a ship that can drill all the way to the core of the earth. All the oil field guys are like, do what? 
And so they have these high-powered lasers that just drill all the way down. And, you know, it's just this journey. They get down there. They get to the core. And, it's, of course, it's not moving. So they drop nukes. And apparently if you drop nukes, it makes things spin. doesn't make any sense. Okay? But they do it. And so um, there's only two left. And when they do this, they, like, they ride this, like, volcanic lava stuff out to the surface. And then the two final couple kiss each other. And it's great. And they stay there. It's amazing. You should watch it. I just ruined it if you haven't. Okay? Now, I tell you about that uh, because we are just like the earth. Each one of you is just like the earth in that movie. On the outside of your life, the visible pieces of who you are, there are all kinds of things that are happening that we can't seem to explain. We get easily angry, don't we, at times. We resent people and institutions. We destroy others for the mistakes that they make and blame others for the mistakes that we make. When others succeed or get a promotion, we feel jealous. And sometimes we tear them down behind their back just to lessen the sting just a little bit. When things get hard, we quit, we cut corners. Some of us, we say too much, right? Some of us, we don't talk enough. And we're so legalistic and filled with guilt and shame that we either back away for the low-grade failure of never being involved in the first place, or we go in so hard that we just totally abandon our families and everything just to achieve this success. There's nothing is a balanced in our life. When we should feel happy, we feel sad. When we should feel sad, we feel indifferent. When we should have peace, we're anxious. When we should feel passionate, we're apathetic. When we should be resting, we're all busy. We're busy. Everything is messed up and all over the place on the surface of our lives. And most people don't really even know what's going on. So what we do is just blame everybody. It's the Russians, it's the North Koreans, it's my neighbor's fault. It's my wife, it's my kids, it's all these things, right? And so what we do is we're just settled to just, we, we just settle into the reality. It's just, just the way it is, okay? And all the patterns are going to get messed up and it's just going to unravel. But the reality is there is a reason why everything on the surface of your life just feels out of control and chaotic and all over the place. And it's because at the center of who you are, which is your heart, it's dead and it's not pumping the way it's supposed to. It's not moving the way it's supposed to. You're just like this movie. It's not churning as it was designed to. And so because the core of who we are is dead, the things on the surface of our lives become unraveled. And then you have pain, you have frustration, you have anger, you've got bad choices, brokenness, depression, anxiety, victimhood, jealousy, slander, and pride. And all of these things begin to manifest, not just to harm our life and the surface of who we are, but then it it goes beyond us, right? Because our life is connected to so many other lives. And their lives and what's going on in the core of who they are is having an impact on us. And so we're just constantly in this chaotic life. Now, I've got to admit, right, core, this movie is absolutely ridiculous, okay? Just the thought of it is ridiculous. But is it ridiculous to believe that God has the ability to go down to the core of who you are and reignite who you are to real life? Is it impossible for God to take the most wicked and broken among us and make us the most loving in the room? Is it possible for God to take the most anxious and fearful of us and make us the most courageous, confident person we ever met? Is it possible for God to take the addicted among us and make us examples of self-control? It's absolutely possible. What God says in this book, guys, which we ask you to read, we encourage you to read. It's hope and life and how to think and where to go and what to do. He says in here that he can do it, that he can get there. This movie is ridiculous, but what God can do is not ridiculous. It's possible. 
it's possible. Everything is messed up, but God can get in there. And just like uh, getting in shape takes physical discipline, right? Getting uh, our hearts transformed takes spiritual discipline. Now, not in the sense that of self-actualization. If you just begin to do all these yoga stretches and if you go to church and you tend and you give and you read your Bible and you do all these things, that you can become perfect. Not like that. That's not what it means. What I mean is when we pattern our lives in such a way that we are frequently and richly present with God, we will be transformed. It's inevitable. It's just what happens. When people get with God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Let me read it again. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, seeking God with all of our heart requires discipline. It means that we are going to have to uh, restrict things from our lives that we don't want to do, do things or restrict things that we do want to do, to do things that we don't necessarily want to do to get something that we actually need, right? That's every discipline. That's what we have to do. So like going to the gym or maintaining a diet or going through college, it's really difficult. But when you make that choice, when you do that, you're going to say no to a lot of things. Am I right? When I decide I want to eat healthy, that does not include cake, unfortunately. Now, it makes me spiritually healthy, but not physically healthy. So... Discipline, I think everybody in the room, we've all tried disciplines. We've all tried to do these things, and we find them to be very difficult. Anybody agree? It's difficult, okay? It's really hard. It's not easy, okay? So for us to actually do it and really go through it, we're going to have to have a really powerful reason to commit to it. Am I right? You're going to have to have a real good reason to do it, all right? So kind of like, is it worth going through chemo at the chance of having a life on the other side? Is it worth it? It's difficult. Is it worth spending all the money and hours at the gym to get in shape? Is it worth finishing that degree for the chance of working in your desired field? Each one of you guys have had to maybe ask that question or seen that question asked, right? But every single one of you have the free choice to choose whether or not you want to step into it. And when a person says yes and they want to do that, it takes full commitment to do it, all right? And when people say yes to do this, they say no to a lot of other things, and they're gonna do this, and they're gonna spend a lot of money and energy and effort to go in that direction because they go, that's worth it, I want it, I'm gonna go do it. And any other answer to the question of whether or not it's worth it, whether it be no or a lukewarm maybe, will just not get you there. It will not get you there. What what does God say? Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. All of your heart. Now, each of the examples that I use have to do with the surface level issues, okay? I talked about our bodies, our jobs, external realities. They, may ha- they have an, a major impact on your life, those things that you choose to do. But they are not the core issue that you have. The core issue is still an issue whether you have six-pack abs, a great job, and a good degree. It's still an issue because it's a heart issue. It's deep in who you are. Whether you are rich or poor, fit or unfit, educated or uneducated, it does not matter. If the core of your life, your heart is dead, you will never see true hope, joy, and peace. And let me ask you, what are you actually looking for in this life? 
Is it a good deal in a house? No. You are actually looking for hope, joy, and peace. Behind every decision you're making, that's what you're looking for and you're hoping for. A deep, very real, can't be bullied, can't be pushed around, hope and joy and a resounding and deep peace in your heart where you wake up and you wake up without fear and anxiety. You go to bed and you sleep well. That's what you're looking for, isn't it? Every single one of us in this room. So let me just go ahead and tell you, that just proved every one of you need to listen. Not because I'm so smart, because God really does want to do something, and he really can. Now I said, this requires discipline, but discipline doesn't cause life transformation at the deepest level. Only God can change us. I believe that. You don't have to agree. I believe it. So seeking requires discipline, but transformation requires God. Period. Now I've heard people tell me for years, years, over and over in this church and every church I've been a part of, the church. Well, I've tried that. I've attended church. I've read my Bible. I've done all those disciplines, and I didn't, I didn't see any change in my life. Okay? That's what you sound like when you complain. Okay? Apparently. And, and isn't it true? How many, how many have felt that, man? Like, I read my Bible. I just didn't feel like anything changed. I tried to do that. I dressed as a Christian. I gave up my Sundays like a Christian. I did all those things. Nothing changed in my life. I had more fun fishing and climbing up on mountains and shooting things. I felt closer to God when I did those things. And the reason why is not because those things failed you. It's because you had the wrong trajectory. You were looking at the discipline for your affirmation rather than looking to Jesus and using the disciplines to get you to Jesus. Because Jesus transforms, not going to church. Community doesn't transform you. And you go, man, you're all about community. Because Jesus transformed you, and that's going to help you get to him. It's not my preaching. It's not our worship. It's not our connecting team. It's not our kids' ministry. It's not this gym floor sound equipment. The only thing that transforms people is Jesus. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not about church or even church disciplines. It's about Christ. Okay, so today we're kicking off seven weeks of talking through what we're calling patterns, because disciplines scare people. We're calling them patterns for renewal, okay? Six different ways that we can seek to be transformed by God, who is the transformer. But before we do that, today, we're gonna get, I'm going to just kind of intro all these things to you. It's important that first you have to understand what you are. You've got to understand what you are. Okay, as this little earth ball, you got to understand what you are. Then we're going to talk about the problems we face as these human beings and what we are. What problem do we face in this, okay? After that, we're going to talk about the importance of these patterns. And then finally, starting next week, we're going to launch into talking about all these ways that you can proactively pattern these disciplines into your life to where you can be with Jesus. Okay? Anybody excited other than me? Okay, woo, I love it. Awesome. Romans 8, 29 says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me tell you, God has always had a plan that you be transformed into the image of Jesus. Before you were born, he had a plan. So let's be confident and let's dive in. First, let's talk about who we are. I'm going to show you a little picture. We're going to start. Before we begin to talk about patterns of renewal, or like Bible intake, meditation, Sabbath, silence, solitude, slowness, all these things, we have to understand what we are, starting with our spirit or our heart, okay? Can you see that? You can't really, but it's okay, all right? That's a little circle. It says spirit, and it says heart and will. I don't have my glasses, and I'm this close. I can barely see it. All right. At the center of who you are is what's called the heart 
or the spirit of who you are, okay? Um, and it all begins here. It is the center, all right? And its importance to your life stems from its origin and its function, okay? So originally, spirit was only defined by God, or spirit only existed in God. He's the self-existent one, the I am, the great I am. And you have been entrusted with the spirit at the core of who you are because God has given it to you. Go back to Genesis. He creates this physical being, which we're going to get to, but he creates him. And then what does he do? He gives us this spirit or the heart, okay? Um, so it makes you unique because you're also not just a spirit. You're a, an embodied spirit, which makes you species unique in the cosmos. Do you understand that? You're an embodied spirit. You are different. And so in this way, there's none like you, okay? Your dog is not like you. Primates are not like you. And you are not like a dog and you're not like primates. Now, are there similarities between you and them? Sure, but there's also similarities between you and dirt. And dirt does not make any moral decisions with its life. Do you understand? You're different, okay? So not only is it important that you understand that the origin is from God, it's this spirit, this heart inside of you, this will not only do you need to understand the origin of it, you also need to understand its capabilities. What can it do, this special, unique thing? Okay? I'm not a philosophy professor. So let me, my brain is full of crayons. So let me explain this to you in a very simple way. All right? Because you are spiritual, you have a unique ability, a unique freedom to make choices. You have a unique freedom that God ruthlessly protects and he's given you to make choices that are yours, that you're free to make. The choice to choose to do good, right, which is to choose God, because he's the greatest source of good, or the choice to do evil, which is, we're going to see, to reject God. That's the core of who you are. This spirit, this heart, this this will inside of you is given you by the divine to make choices. And in this way, you're kind of like God. Now, but you're all different. So let's move on to an outer piece, which is the mind and the feeling. All right? So it's a little circle. Look at that. See that? There you go. You grew a little bit because um, this is you. All right? So mind and feeling. So I want you to understand this, this next part. These two pieces, the mind and feeling, they are distinct, but they are deeply connected to each other. Okay? And they're also ultimately submissive to the heart. So the priority is the spirit, the heart of who you are. It dictates everything, but your heart and mind are connected to them, all right? They're connected to them. So now, what do we mean by mind and feeling? And I want you to think about it like this. Think knowledge and think wonder. All right, guys, I know you're going, wonder? What are you talking about? You know when you sit up on the edge of a mountain when you're hunting and, and you look out and the sun's going down, you go, wow. That's not knowledge. You're feeling this thing you're seeing. It's knowledge and wonder. It's mathematics, Right? And it's that feeling, those butterflies you felt on your first date in middle school, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's not knowledge. It's just this deep feeling. Now they're connected and they're submissive to your heart. And we're going to find out they're also gateways to your heart. So now let's move even beyond that. Beyond that, you have a heart at the center. You've got a mind and feeling. And beyond that, you have your body, okay? You, the physical present you that's right here in this room. Now, your body is deeply connected to the rest of who you are. Let me give you an example, and I'm not going to do it literally, but figuratively. If I walked up and smacked you in the face, are you, do you think that your feelings in your heart would start to get involved? 
Do you think so? Absolutely, because your body is deeply and richly connected to the spirit and heart and mind of who you are. Your body matters. That's important. God created it. It's a good thing, all right? But uh, it, it, it's different, all right? It's a little bit different. I can hug your body, but I cannot hug your spirit, okay? It, it, it's, a, it's, it's this thing that puts you in this present space. It's different, okay? Then beyond your body, then you're going to see that your body is so important for these patterns for renewal. You're going to see that. But next thing we're going to see is your environment, where you live and where you are. Now, understand something. This is the physical side of things, like, like the mountains, the cars you drive, the bodies of people that are around you, schools, homes, etc. everything. It makes up the things around you, okay? Even the spiritual parts, they are spiritual forces of evil that are around you, and you can't see them because they're spiritual, and they're actually around you. Your Bible says that. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. These things that are in your environment are not what you are, but they are extremely important to who you are. You understand? You ever hear the saying, the product, you're a product of your environment? It's important you understand this. It is a part of who you are. And it's going to be important for understanding the patterns of renewal. Now, the last thing is, and this is what in cases at all, is the soul. Okay? This is what we call the soul. The soul of you is everything that we're talking about inside of that circle. It's everything all the way down to the core of who you are. It's the entire, from the heart, mind, body, environment, that is the picture of the soul. Now, this is you. Take a good look at yourself. You're far simpler than you thought you were. See it? That's who you are. We're going to leave that up there because it's important that you see this and understand this because when we talk about patterns of renewal, the core, the spirit of the heart of you has to be fixed. So that's why we need to talk about what is the problem. So here's the next point we're talking about. What's the problem? Guys, leave that up there for right now uh, until later. So what's the problem? Now that we've identified uh, what you are and the pieces of who you are and we see in Scripture, we're going to see how these things all play and work together, we've got to address the fact that we're sinners. Anybody here a sinner? I can raise two hands and a foot. I'm a sinner. All sin is a choice of the will that nobody makes us do. Deep down in our heart, we make the free choice to do. The center of who we are makes this choice. God gave you the freedom to make that choice, to do that. And the choice that we've made in all sin is to hate God. It's that simple. The choice that we all made, sin, is that we've chosen to hate God. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Every bit of who you are, go back to that picture. Uh, every bit of who you are has to just be driven towards a love towards Jesus. A love to God. But the problem is, at our heart, we hate God. So every commandment, every rule stems from this one simple but powerful command, to love God with all of your soul. Meaning from the outside to the inside and all that lies between God and by extension loving those he loves. And the question is, how are we doing at this? My answer is not very good. I'm sure it's yours as well. A small amount of self-awareness is enough to recognize that who we are at our core doesn't love God. Now, so the next question is, do we need something to change? Anybody? Yes, we desperately need something to change. Why? Because our souls are ruined by sin. It's ruined by sin, especially the sin of covetousness, all right? Or better put, self-idolatry. This is the problem. 
Why is self-idolatry such a problem? Self-idolatry is this idea of trying to pursue anything else. Go, go, I need that. I want that. And it's about me. Okay? Step four of Regen, which is an incredible ministry to help us understand our hearts. Woo-woo, Regen. It says this in Regen. It says try, the problem with this self-idolatry, trying to fill our hearts with things that we think we want, we deserve, we need, is this. Trying to fill eternal needs with anything other than an internal God is a pattern that leads to pain and death. Amen, I found it to be true. I personally found that to be extremely true. So in other words, though this world is filled with good things, guys, this world's got great stuff. Designed for your pleasure. But the only person who can satisfy your eternal need is God himself. That is it. It's kind of like this. Do we have the image of a throne in the, in the center of the heart? Let's see. Look at that. You can see that. I want you to imagine at the center of your heart, at the center of who you are, there's a throne. And self-idolatry is you saying, the only person who can sit on that throne is me. And I will control how things go and where they go and what we'll see, what we'll take, and what we'll do. I sit on that throne. But the problem is you weren't designed that way. You were designed for somebody else to sit on the throne of your heart. You're designed for God. It's very simple. You were designed to find satisfaction, completeness, hope, joy, and peace all in Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart. But when we turned inward and turn our gaze inward to seek personal desires above God, what naturally happens in our bodies and in our minds and in our feelings and all that, we get hurt. Oh, they're not doing what I want them to do and I'm just, I'm mad at them and woe is me. And so sin and misery and ruin and death take over our hearts, our minds and our bodies. And extends beyond us to others. And true, let me just tell you, you have felt the effects of sin against your life that was not your fault. But the problem is you also are a sinner and there's a lot of fault within you that you are still perpetuating the same thing. We're all doing it. James 4, 1 through 2 says it like this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? How would you answer that? Well, James answers, he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Right? On a national level with 150,000 Russians outside of a country, all the way down to you and in your heart, taking your friends to court in your mind. We're all, we don't have, and so we, 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 we kill each other for it. and We fight for those things. And the reason why Romans 8 says is we've set our minds on the flesh. Romans 8, 5 says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Verse 6, he says this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's the problem, guys. We're so focused on being king of our hearts and what we want with our bodies and our feelings, and we let them dictate everything. And so what happens is death in our lives and death in our kids and death for others. And when our ruined hearts set their minds on the desires of the bodies and the desires of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, we fill our hearts with more and more lies leading to more and more ruin. That's what we're doing. It's meditation, but it's misplaced meditation. So the root of the problem is our heart, and our hearts are out of control. Out of control. Dallas Willard, who wrote a great book called Renovation of the Heart, said it like this. Instead of being simple and transparent, through a constant and coherent devotion to God, the usual human being, you, me, our will is a place of chaotic duplicity, evil double-mindedness, 
and confusion, if not darkness, because it is a playing field of pride and fear and lack of confidence in God, shrouded in layer upon layer of destructive habits. And he nailed it. And we're so double-minded and we're so confused and we can get so caught up in the lies that we could even convince ourselves that we're okay. That actually we're pretty good people, we just got a bad lot in life. No, I'm actually a good guy. If you just understood what happened to me. But here's the problem. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. Jeremiah 17, God says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick and dead. Who can understand it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Guys, our heart and my heart is out of control with desire for sin. Romans 7, 18, Paul, you know, you want to argue who's the best Christian that's ever lived? Maybe Paul, top of that. He says this in Romans 7, 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is in my flesh. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You know, the problem is a little less of a problem when we begin to admit that there's a problem. We've got to admit it can't blame the Russians. We can't blame our neighbors. We can't blame Democrats. We got to go, hold on a second. The problem's inside of me, in my heart, in me. Okay? Your only hope is in to entirely place your confidence on God. Pull up that image of the, of the throne on top of the, the center of your heart again. Our only hope, this is the, we know the problem now. Do you understand what the problem is? The only hope, guys, is for you to get off there and me to get off there and allow God to sit on it and allow him to stay there, to stay there at the center of our heart, which our heart's the thing that controls everything. The things on the surface of your life are happening because what's happening deep inside of you. And when we do that, there comes transfer, transformation. Romans 7 when Paul says, there's nothing good that dwells within me, he says this, wretched man that I am. Anybody ever said that? In my sin, there's times where I've had snot coming out of my nose, I'm crying, and I'm face down on the carpet, just going, wretched man that I am. Because I was so overwhelmed by my sin. And what does he say? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why does he say thanks? Because when Jesus is on the throne, hey, transformation is possible. So let's now talk about these spiritual patterns and how they are helpful to be like a, tr- like a little ship with lasers that can drill down to the center of who you are and do an amazing renovation of all that's out of hand in there. Anybody want to hear about that? I want to do it. Okay, let's do it. First Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Let me tell you this. It says this. I have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Our culture's got all kinds of silly myths and patterns, all right? How many different diets have we tried? When, do anybody remember Atkins? We don't do that stuff anymore. It's all these silly things. Here's how you could get better. Tim tips for this. TED Talks and all these things. They got all these silly ideas of how we can become better. But the problem is they're trying to deal with all the surface issues and not with the heart. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Discipline yourself for godliness is what other versions say. For while bodily training, the things on the outside, is of some value, it's good. Godliness is of value in every way, every way, as it holds promise for the present life 
It also holds promise for the future. Now, our lives, every one of your lives, is filled with patterns that are making, who you, making you who you are today. You didn't get here by accident. Your life is patterned in certain ways to make you the way you are. Okay, we've got eating patterns, fitness patterns, reading patterns, patterns of communication. Maybe you gossip so much you're a gossip or you're angry or outbursts or maybe you're prone to a lot of encouragement and you made a pattern of that. Now, the, strengths and the, the strength and consistency of that pattern will determine the speed and the potency of the change in your life. All right? Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. If you have a beer every once in a while, okay, by the way, not sin, welcome, Baptist, uh, you have a beer every once in a while, it's probably going to have little to no effect on your life. In fact, we might even call it not even a pattern. But if you drink a 40 of liquor every day for six months, if you survive, I'll tell you this, you will not be the same. Do you understand? Do you see the extreme difference between the two? That's what I mean. When we pattern our lives in such a way, it's going to lead to changes and sometimes drastic. Okay? Now, it's your choice of whether or not you will follow that pattern. Remember, God's given you this free choice and ability to choose. It's something that he has and he's entrusted to you. But with that choice, you also are going to choose whatever consequences that come with that pattern of living. You're going you're gonna to get what you sow. Okay? The same can be said when we choose to follow Christ. Following Jesus will always lead to the supernatural outcome of hope, joy, love, and peace. Now, let me be clear. When I say follow Christ, I do not mean that fake, meaningless commitment to just believe in Jesus for salvation. Everybody's down to believe for salvation, but not a lot are down to walk in sanctification. Because it's difficult. You've got to discipline your life. All right? You've got to do something. It's not the go to church faith. It's the be the church as you follow Jesus type faith. That's different. It's actually following Jesus. I'm amazed at how we get to where we are. We go, yeah, you know, I believed in Jesus. It's like, well, then what do you think he's going to do? He asked you to follow him, which means one foot in front of the other going towards him. That's the way it goes. And I look at my life and go, why am I like, when I'm moping and all that stuff, it's because I, I'm waiting for God to do something. But he's saying, I've, I've given you all the tools. Let's go. Let's, let's walk. Let's go somewhere. Stop sitting on the ground like a little baby crying and spinning in circles. Okay? So we have to discipline our life. Discipline in the Bible comes from the Greek word gymnasia, which obviously comes from the word gym. Think of, think sweaty, breathing heavy, like breakdown of the muscles leaving just like sagged over, just like, ugh, okay? That's what it means. And so spiritual patterns are ways that we place ourselves in this environment that puts us before Jesus, who is the one who does the work of transforming us, okay? A great example of that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in the Bible was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? And he climbed up, climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? What did he do? Zacchaeus was so overwhelmed with what he's hearing about Jesus that he wants to see Jesus. And so what does he do? He gets in the pathway of Jesus, gets up so that he can see Jesus, and then Jesus comes his way and he gets to engage with Jesus. Spiritual patterns of discipline are the same kind of thing. It's us play, putting ourselves, our body, mind, feelings, and our spirit and heart in a place where we can be uh, connected with Christ and he can meet and dine and be with us. Zacchaeus' life was transformed. And our lives can be as transformed. We practice these patterns and we set our souls on the Spirit. He changes us. Remember Romans 8 5. I just told you about it earlier. 
said this, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But it says this, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then what happens? Well, those who set their minds on the flesh, it leads to death. But what happens when those who, lead, who set their minds on the Spirit? It says it leads to life and peace when we practice these patterns. Things like daily Bible reading, meditation, prayer, slowness, silence and solitude, and Sabbath. And we're going to talk about all of them. They are your sycamore tree. So the Lord you can see. But hold on. Because just because you do these, listen, my pharisaical brother's up in here. Just because you practice the disciplines and make them a pattern in your life does not mean that you will be safe. John Calvin, and I don't care what you think about John Calvin, he did say some things that were right, so comment a bit. Okay, he says this, the only haven of safety is to have no other will, which means the choice inside of you that God gave you to have no other will, no other wisdom than to follow the Lord wherever he leads. Wherever that sycamore tree may be. Say, I'm gonna go where he is. The image is kind of like, when Jesus sits with the Pharisees, and these are guys, guys, they are better than you. And they are doing all the spiritual disciplines. Their tassels are long, their prayers are great. They memorize more Bible than any of you times 20,000. Okay, they did it all. But he says that you guys are like a cup where the, dirt, the inside is dirty and you've cleaned the outside. And I go, uh-oh, he just called out the church. Look how great we look. Is that a new shirt? You're so pretty and nice. You attend church? Yeah, I go to church. I go to church. I read my Bible. That's great. But on the inside, are you transformed? Do you deeply and richly belong to Jesus? Do you have hope? What, if, what, hap what happens when somebody wrongs you? What do you do? Right? I had a guy, 6 a.m., had the audacity to speed up behind me and honk at me to get out of his way. It's 6 a.m. Go around. It's Wyoming. And in my heart, I was revealed there's still a load of sin because I almost thought about chasing him in my minivan. <laughs> it's like, I want to find out where you're at, brother. Somebody better be pregnant in that truck because I'm friggin' tick. <laughs> Calvin says, let this then be the first step to abandon ourselves and devote whole energy of our mind to the service of God. 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 Jesus. Jesus, assuming that you've heard of him. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. And we're taught in him. As the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. It's death to the old way by way of a new patterns of discipline, modeled after his way. It's a life of crucifixion. It's nailing the old man that I am to the cross so that I can, by the grace of God alone, become more like Jesus. We don't have to fake like we're good people. We just have to admit that we're sinners and let Jesus deeply into our lives. You need a pattern in your life and disciplines, not so that I think you're a good guy, but so that you can have the hope and joy and peace that you've always been looking for in the first place. Romans 12, 2 says, 
that we do it by not being conformed to this world, guys, don't stop listening to Joe Rogan and these politicians and these gurus and these whacked out pastors. Your Bible's trying to tell you it's in Jesus. Be conformed not to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And all these patterns are going to be about going through your mind to your heart to just explode everything and build a new foundation. And when you do this, listen to me, guys, when you do this, it's going to be, you're going to finally know what Jesus meant when he said what Chet read, thank God, in Matthew 11. What he meant when he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you are going, I've never found that to be true. And I want to tell you, to find it to be true, you've got to discipline your life and make these patterns to get towards Jesus. And I, I can help you, but I can't do it for you because it's your choice. And when you do it, this is what will happen. Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13 is going to become you everyone, and I hope for it for you because I'm sick of listening to all your, your pain where you're at. I'm going, it's Jesus. It's in Jesus. And my community group's here, sick of hearing me whine and complain when they're like, buddy, it's Jesus. Guys, if we want to be transformed, be powerful type of people, we have to love Jesus because Jesus is the power for salvation. And when we do that, this is what happens. Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw, saw the boldness of Peter and John, when Pharisees, these religious people, saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. I have no seminary degree. Some of you go, I'm not surprised. But I'm where I'm at, and I am past some of you in the faith, not because I'm better than you, but because of what it says next. It says that they were astonished by Peter and John. Why were they astonished? The next verse, the next sentence. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Guys, the goal is not to find out whether you're a smarter sinner and you're a great pastor, or you're a great preacher, or you're super duper smart and you got all your Calvinism locked in and your Arminianism and your end times theology. That's not the goal. The question that people really have is, have you been with Jesus? When you've been with Jesus, they arrest you and you still stand boldly before them and say, I live for Christ and Christ alone. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. Church, I'm telling you right now, the day is coming where many of you will leave because you're going to have to do that. And it's offered to you. You can have a hope that's unshakable. can't be bullied. And when your hope is secure, your joy is stuck to it. And when your joy is there, your peace is there. And no matter what happens down here, this doesn't change. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray a blessing over you. I'm inviting you into the next six weeks to do this with us. We're not going to sing because I made a promise and I've already already broke it. But I want to pray a blessing over you. And guys, I want you to do this. This is the blessing I want to pray. This is what I want to pray for you, is that you would truly consider, not whether or not you're going to come back next Sunday, you would truly consider, is Jesus worth saying no to some things, saying yes to some things, all for what he promises he will give you, which is himself. Is he worth it? That's all I want you to consider. God, thank you so much for being patient with us, your people. We're like the people of Exodus in the wilderness. We keep looking around for you to do great things when you just parted a sea. 
We're walking in a valley of a thousand burning bushes looking for a sign. And your sign has already been given. It's your son on the cross. You love us. <laughs> so God, forgive my sin and my wickedness of how I allow binge-watching TV shows and my taking people to court in my mind and becoming so narcissistic and selfish that I forget to put my eyes on Jesus and eyes on you, Lord. I pray for these people and for myself, all of us together, individually, that you would help us to see that it's absolutely worth it to step into this with you. And may we become a people transformed into the beauty of Jesus. And may people look at us and say, those people have been with Jesus, but not for our glory, but for yours, and so that they too might share in the benefit of the blessing of salvation. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, so glad you were here this morning. So glad I got the opportunity to teach and, and practice my giftings with you. And uh, I want to tell you, um, you know, a great way to follow Jesus, all right, in this present moment is to pick up your chair and stack it on others. Hey, I want to tell you, if you, got, if you need any prayer requests, if you need, any, if you need to have a conversation, you want to come and talk, please come in front. I'd love to chat with you. Otherwise, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.